It is my honor to introduce Mike Vestal, uh, a man who a lot of times doesn't need an introduction, uh, but uh, we're giving one anyway, I suppose. Mike is a guy who has uh, been preaching, he said his first sermon was when he was 13, uh, so he's uh, not new to this, of course. Uh, he's been serving at the Westside Congregation down in Midland, Texas uh, for almost 20 years. Um, him and his wife, Cherie, uh, are constantly busy uh, doing service for the Lord. Um, they have gone all over the United States preaching. He's a very well sought out uh, for speaker. Uh, he's preached in 37 different states and many different countries. Uh, but when you meet him, he's just Mike. He's just a down-to-earth guy uh, and one that I very much appreciate. Um, we're in it for a special treat this morning, but it's not because of Mike, even though Mike is great. We're in for a special treat because Mike has an ability to tap into God's Word and to communicate the power of God's Word, which is what really makes it great. We're looking forward to a very uh, appropriate and timely subject, one that's going to hit us uh, right in the heart and make us a little bit closer to Jesus, I'm sure. So we're looking forward to what Mike has to say. Come preach the Word, brother. Preach the Word. If you want your batteries recharged, if you're wanting to be made to think, if you're wanting to be challenged, and occasionally if you're wanting your patience tested, invest in young people. Invest in young people. I want you to know I never cease to be amazed. Amazed by young people. Their inquisitive minds, their zeal and their energy, the talent they possess, and the idea of thinking what God is presently doing in the lives of young people in this very room, not to mention young people throughout our wonderful brotherhood. It's mind-blowing. We need to appreciate that. Don't, do not write off our young people. Amen. Do not misjudge them and do not look down on them. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 12. No matter what age group, no matter what demographic in the body of Christ one speaks of, People have problems. We live in this world. And as I think about young people and their problems, I ask my daughter, who is a high school teacher, to ask in writing for a response from young people in her classes what their problems were. And I want to share with you this morning three of the most common responses that were given by young people themselves concerning what their problems are. And it doesn't matter if you're young or not so young anymore. I think that all of us will find ourselves struggling with some of the same problems even now. Are you with me? The problem of stress. The problem of stress. 
psychologists are baffled because it seems as if there is an unprecedented level of stress among today's young people. Trying to figure out why has left many psychologists puzzled. But really, is it all that puzzling? Think about things like this. Insecurity. Insecurity. A lack of control. Insecurity. A lack of control. I feel great stress in my life. Young people are saying, you know, some young people are depressed. Some are anxiety-ridden. Some often feel overwhelmed, but at the heart of each of those three areas, slightly different they may be, is stress. Feeling as if you just can't cope, and feeling as if you're being pressured by the circumstances, and you can't be healthy. You have a lack of ability to function the way that you like. A lack. Of control. How about this one? Fear. I live in Midland, Odessa, a part of West Texas that two weeks ago had a man who for no reason whatsoever really killed five people and wounded 20 plus more. Fear. Think about the stressors that many of us dealt with when we were growing up and make them more intense, magnify them, because really that's what's happening with our young people. Certainly more things could be given as to why, but really I want to look at this one for just a moment and then talk about what we can do to encourage young people who are dealing with stress. How can we not say that we've not contributed to this environment? We have contributed to the environment that is making our children have more stress. And we have done it because of sin. We have done it because of our arrogance. We have done it because of our materialism. We have done it because we have have spirit of unhealthy competition that we fostered very often, we ultimately, as a nation, are the reason for the stress. And we as the people of God will ultimately be a reason that there's a turnaround. What can we do? What can we do? We can teach and model faithfulness, first of all. We can teach and model faithfulness. We don't live in Jerusalem anymore. We must preach the Jerusalem gospel, but we don't live in Jerusalem. We live in Athens. Or better yet, we live in Babylon. And if we want to raise a generation of Daniels who can thrive in whatever culture and be faithful to God, we need to be faithful ourselves. 
We must teach and model faithfulness. Daniel 1 verse 8. He purposed in his heart he would not defile himself. We need parents who do the same thing. We need congregations who will do the same thing so that a generation of Daniels might come up. Where are the Esthers? Where are the Nehemiahs? Where are the Daniels who can stand up in the cultures and engage them? We're pretty good at confronting culture, but you know what? We need to be even better at engaging culture in the body of Christ. Therefore, we must teach and model faithfulness. Secondly, think about this. There are several elders of the congregation here and elsewhere here are you aware of how big of a problem stress is with our young people? And while I freely acknowledge parents have a primary responsibility in helping their children with stress, does not the people of God have a responsibility to support and build up and encourage young people too? And I believe we have an area of ministry where we can not only impact the generation of our own young people, but other young people who don't know Jesus. Because of faithfulness and support and care. Next, model resilience. Mentor, model, teach resilience. Life is hard. In this world you have tribulation, John 16, 33. You know, model and teach resilience. Some people in the church are notorious. I guess they have the spiritual gift of increasing our stress level. You know what I mean? But I don't, I don't think it came from God. The sky is falling, the sky is falling, and all that can ever be said is negative about young people, about life, about culture. Yes, life is full of difficulty. But God's glorious and good. We know all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are the called according to His purpose. Romans 8, 28. So model resilience... But here's something else to model. Model prayerfulness. Model prayerfulness. As young people are dealing with stress, let them know when you see them, I am praying for you. I care about you. You matter. How tragic it is that the church loses any young person. And sometimes it's due to a lack of prayerfulness on our part. Men ought always to pray and faint not when they are struggling to know that someone's praying for them matters. These are a few things we can do. In and make it personal. Make it concrete. Make it real. Because people are different. And the stresses young people may be facing can be incredibly diverse. But we must be intentional as families and as congregations in helping young people deal with stress. And maybe we need to get our own house in order. First. 
but still reach out to them. Next. The second problem that was mentioned in this study was the problem of self-image. Self-image. Self-worth. It's a problem that's not <laughs> just specifically for youth, but like the problem of stress, it's an adult problem as well. <coughs> See how connected we really are. Self-image. Young people, you were created in the image of God. That makes you something <coughs> special. You will never look on the face of another human being who does not matter to God. And it's so important as Christian people that we convey that to everyone, but especially to young people because they're having problems with self-image and self-worth, especially at two points in their very young lives. A friend of mine who is a professional trapper once said to me, the easiest critter to trap is a young'un. And don't think for a moment that the devil doesn't know it, Mike. Some tough old bird like us he might get, but he knows we don't have as long left as many of these young people do. And he can wreck their lives and influence others wrongly if he leads them astray. If we could just see somebody's soul. What shall a man be profited if she gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for a soul? Matthew 16, 26. If we could somehow see a young person's soul, we would never write them off. We would never misjudge them. We would never think poorly of them. And there would be something so precious, so long-lasting, if we could see it. A soul that we would almost be tempted to bow down, knowing that it's not right. But God put something in us that will last forever. And we need to see that and see and appreciate the unique gifts and abilities of every individual. What an incredibly unique and diverse world we live in. Consider the people each one unique, uniquely gifted, self-image. Do a little math with me because some people have only been given the positive self-image where they look up highly and look down at everyone else. Some young people have been given that kind of self-image, probably from very type A uh, Christian parents. C equals control, the desire to control. i got to be in control. <coughs> e plus control plus entitlement. I deserve this, after all. It's me. Control plus entitlement plus overconfidence equals arrogance. 
Come on now, some people, and it's not just young people. I wonder if they've ever seen this displayed in our congregations. People who are overly controlling, overly entitled, and feel like they deserve it. And they are overconfident and think they need to have their way and everybody else exists to serve them. Wrong self-image. And while there may well be young people that fall into this category, and no one denies that, just as there are adults who do, Think about this with self-image. The two primary areas for real self-image problems are 9 through 14 and 17 through 24. Very interesting to consider that. 9 through 14, from childhood to adolescence, right? Problems with self-image. 17 through 24. Leaving the nest, leaving home. Going to university. Somebody that may be doing just great when they're in high school, goes to college or university, man, and their world is rocked. They're just another statistic, another number, you know? In the body of Christ, we need to be aware that people are struggling with their self-image, especially young people, and be aware that these are critical times in their life. Because often people struggling with self-image and self-worth are experiencing a lot of self-doubt. And maybe even self-loathing. I hate myself. I've gone beyond doubting myself and now I just hate myself. And what I'm doing. You matter. You matter. I preached in Plano, Texas years ago when in the space of one week six high school students committed suicide. That was 37 years ago, and I remember it like yesterday. Precious souls. Struggling, no doubt, with self-image. Now stop and think about this with me. Because, isn't it really fair to say, if we can present this, think about it, Wes, as a dad. Jesus and His gospel and His people can help us with our stress problem. Jesus and His gospel and His people can help us with our self-image issues. That brings me to the third problem. Because they are related to this one. The problem of faith development. Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. I think that there's a lot of young people that want to have a deep and rich and meaningful and close relationship with God. 
delight in the Lord desires of your heart. He'll give those to you. Because what we really want is to love and to know and to serve a God who cares and can help us with our stress and can help us with our self-image. But far more than that, He can help us with our sin and He can get us home. In Psalm 43 and verse 4, God is described as our exceeding joy. The problem with people is that we are looking for pleasure in all the wrong places when God is the ultimate fulfillment of what we really should desire of what gives us the greatest joy. And I suspect here has been an area of failure in far too many churches. We have taught them truth, which we must. But we have not taught them relationship, which we must. If you love me, what comes first? Keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. I know people are incredibly different. We look different. Some of us look quite funny. I know. I'm one of them. People have different backgrounds, different talents. So diverse we are. But I want you to know that there are things that link us, that make us one in so many ways. We lose sight of this. And to understand that if we could somehow put ourselves in a time machine and transporter and go back in time, whatever culture, whatever time, these are going to be desires everybody's going to have. And if we can fast forward in time, if time continues as we know it, the Lord doesn't return, people are going to have these desires, these needs. I'm going to share with you seven of them because we really do have more in common than we ever We all have desires. My idea for this particular thought came from a book by Mark and Deborah Lasser called Seven Desires of Every Heart. But it is uh, something that is so fundamentally true to relating to one another, to relating to God, to, to understanding what makes us us. Uh, we, we, we're hardwired. It's our, in, our, in our DNA, it seems, to be people with these seven desires. You listening? What do you have in common with everybody else? What do you have in common with God Himself in one way? To be heard and understood. Is anybody listening? Whenever you find that person who gets you, Michael, they are listening. They understand me. 
You find people like that, and you have somebody very special in your life, don't you? They get me. They may know some of my failures, but they listen. I can talk to them. They understand me. Doesn't God Himself want to be heard and understood by people? You ever think about that? And a God who wants to be heard and understood created us the same way because ultimately our greatest desire is being heard and understood by God. It's fulfilled in Him. But we enjoy the blessings through life that somebody else may get us and understand us and really listen. But I want you to know God gets you. He understands you. He hears you. Now think about this. In the creation account of Genesis, what does God do? He speaks, doesn't He? He speaks. The desire to communicate, to be heard and understood. What about Jesus? In the beginning was the John 1. God with us, Matthew 1, 21-25. So we stop and we think about the fact of communication and revelation. Speaking, hearing, understanding. Young people, when we talk about faith development, long to hear and understand God and His Know His person and character and seek to understand His will. It will bless your life and know this. When you talk, He's listening and He understands. I was on the phone earlier this morning with my daughter who's the teacher and she's struggling with a problem. I cannot be there at that moment God can. And God is. And parents, we must understand that time will likely come in the order of things when we won't walk with our kids anymore. Train them so that they will walk with God whenever we're not here. Next. Two. B. Affirmed. To be affirmed. I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe you want to do the right thing. I believe that you matter. Affirmation is amazingly Few things are more encouraging than affirmation. <coughs> I believe in you. God doesn't want, doesn't you know, need our affirmation, I should say. But He does desire us to give Him affirmation. I believe in you, God. I trust in you. 
Isn't that what he wants? People everywhere want affirmation. And remember when you found somebody who believed in you. Maybe it was a teacher. Maybe it was a coach. Maybe it was a sweet widow in a church. But everything about that individual resonated with affirmation to you, and it made you feel as if you were one of the most precious people in all the world, right? People desire affirmation. Even God, the epitome of greatness, desires that we express, I believe. I trust. I long for you. And that brings me to the third. People everywhere long to be blessed. Young people need it. Older people do as well. I have done close to 400 funerals over the years many of whom were extremely dear to me. I have to admit, in one way, it takes something out of a guy when you do that many people's funerals who you loved. But it didn't, it wasn't hard to speak well of those who loved Jesus. To bless, to speak well. I care, I treasure you see people. You know, to see God and His grace at work in people's lives. To be blessed. Some of those people that I have done funerals for had family members that traveled across the world to be at the deathbed of the one that was just about to leave this world. And they hoped and they prayed that someone would open their mouth and say, you matter and I love you and I'm so proud of you and I can't tell you how much you mean to me and what you've become to speak well. To speak well. Everybody desires to be blessed. You don't want to be abused and criticized constantly. And how many homes is that way too prevalent concerning our kids? We are far too quick to criticize and far too slow to bless. Three books in the Old Testament especially emphasize blessing. You ever thought about that? They are Genesis, Deuteronomy, and Psalms. <coughs> From the beginning, God's people were to be people of blessing. Blessing is inherent in the law of God. Old Testament or new. Blessing is crucial to being able to praise others and ultimately to praising God Himself. Some people have a real problem with worship because they've never really experienced praise very much in their life in the first place. To be blessed... Continuing here. (laughs) 
I was reluctant to use this word, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. Because the word touch, especially with young people, has an extraordinarily inappropriate sense. But I hope you'll bear with me. I think it goes to show how far our world has sunk. There is such a thing as appropriate touch. When a baby is born, they put that child in its mother's arms quickly. The desire for touch. Those funerals that I was talking about, the place of a warm handshake, the place of a hug, the place of a touch can really help a person who's struggling. There's got to be contact. As a preacher, I am astounded by how little contact there often is in preaching with people's real world. But there's got to be contact. God is so into touch and contact that He came down. Luke 19.10 And you talk about condescending, how He was so humble that He, he came down to touch us. And you have passages like Matthew 8 and verse 3 and Matthew 9 verses 20 through 22 where Jesus touches lepers and He touches the sick. He is not ashamed as the Lord God Almighty to come into contact with us. And we need to be very concerned about appropriate contact with others. Appropriate contact. Have you ever stopped to ask yourself, when was the last time a leper might have been touched by anybody? There are people who consider themselves untouchable who need genuine contact that's Christian and loving. Here's a couple of things to ask yourself. I know that there's a lot of inappropriate touch. I'm not that naive. But if we want to talk about touch that is God-honoring and that's touch that people really need, would I be comfortable with someone expressing this kind of contact to my wife or daughter? to my husband or son? That's a pretty good question. Would God be pleased with this contact? Would God be pleased with this contact I'm making? Those are two pretty important questions, aren't they? But people need contact. 
a person who goes through life that never knows the contact of another human being will likely go crazy. To be safe. Everybody wants a sense of safety and security. One of my favorite old songs, hymns, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms, <coughs> Safe and secure from all alarms, Safe and secure from all alarms. Let me relate this to God. I'm going to ask you this. Does God feel safe and secure in your heart? Does He? He wants to. He desires that. Though He's all-powerful, He wants to be safe and secure in your heart. In mine. And all of us want safety. Burglar alarms. Locks. Ushers. We live in a time when we are security conscious. But I want you to know that ultimately the only security that really lives, that really exists, the ultimate security is being in God's hands. It's being safe in the arms of Jesus. To be safe. A very present help God is in time of trouble. Psalm 46 and verse 1. The good shepherd he is. John 10 verses 11 through 18. To be saved. Churches need to be places where young people feel safe. To be chosen. Nowadays, it still happens. You have the unwanted, it seems, the outcast, the have-nots. And you look repeatedly throughout Scripture, and those are the very people that Jesus said, you can belong. I choose you. When a person gets married in our country, often as part of things we say, forsaking all others, you have chosen this individual to be with for the rest of your life. Choose wisely, young people. And churches and families need to help young people make these choices. Lastly, to belong. To belong. The great desire is to belong. People enjoy, uh, enjoy gangs. 
People become uh, part of Wicca. People get involved in all kinds of things because they want to belong. They want to belong. Stop and think about the word Christian. Belonging to who? Belonging to who? Belong. You matter. You've been chosen to belong. The longing to belong. And we not only belong to Christ, we're part of God's family. The word is fellowship. <clears throat> found 19 times in 17 New Testament verses. And the word fellowship means a common bond, sharing, and commitment in Christ to the will and work and walk of God. We are family. A common bond in Christ. A common sharing in Christ. A common commitment in Christ to the will and work. Quickly, three things in conclusion. Number one, God is bigger than any and all of our problems. Isn't that wonderful? God is bigger than any and all of our problems. Number two, there is no such thing as a problem-free Jesus learned obedience by the things he suffered, Hebrews 5, 8, and 9. There's no such thing as a problem-free free life. You're not going to have it. Therefore, don't waste any problem. Whatever your problem is, ask yourself, how can this problem conform me more to the image of Jesus? Romans 8, 29. Will this problem help me to love God more and trust in Him more than I trust in myself? I won't waste my problem. I had to learn that lesson the hard way. Don't do that, young people. Don't learn it the hard way. Believe it now. There's no such thing as a problem-free life. How will your problems make you more like your Lord? Think about it that way and don't waste it. But finally, in every problem... There is grace. Aren't you glad? May God help us look for the grace of God in all of our problems. Till the day comes when by His grace we can be in His presence forever where there's no problems. Amen. Thank you, Mike. Uh, we are in your debt. A powerful lesson, a timely lesson, um, and one that needs to put us to work in our own lives and helping our young people. Um, so many things that uh, we can take away from this lesson. Thank you, brother. Let's have a word of prayer, um, and then we'll be dismissed to the worship hour, which is at 10 o'clock. Let's pray together. Lord, you know that we deal with so many struggles and difficulties. Sometimes the world overwhelms us. Sometimes we overwhelm ourselves or we overwhelm each other. But Father, help us to lean on you. Knowing that you're willing to bear our burdens. You're willing to help us carry and shoulder the load. 
know that the, the help is in you, the comfort is in you. Help us not to look in all of the other fruitless places uh, for help, but just to go to you in the first place and realizing that that's where the comfort lies. Father, we love our teens so much, and we know that they shoulder way too much. Amen. We know that they're dealing with things that uh, overburden them, that break them, that make life so difficult. Help us to love them, to help them, to help shoulder the, Lord, the load with them, but ultimately to, to point them to you. Father, we're grateful for your son that makes all of this source of comfort and strength possible. Thank you for loving us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, guys.